0: Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app.
1: Okay, so this is a special live episode of the Truth to Power show, taking place on June 15th at 7 p.m. Here with us today is uh, Kaylin Lister, a dynamic New York City lyricist, singer, and keyboard player, as well as being being a solo artist. She sings with the Moody Rock Band um, Death by Piano, Electronica Project. And uh, Claire Van Winkle, an award-winning poet, essayist, and literary translator. She currently teaches undergraduate classes at uh, Queens College and works as a recreational therapist at the NYC Psychiatric Institute. And Jessica Hines, an award-winning writer and teacher, screenwriter and poet, coach, and meditative guide. She acts as a mentor and meditative writing guide for authors in all disciplines. Welcome, 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 guys. Hello. 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 Okay, let me get the volume up. Okay. So uh, let's start off uh, kind of, you know, just uh, some discussion. Uh, Let's direct the first question at uh, Claire. Uh, So now, you know, the overall topic is going to be about uh, creative writing as a modality for healing. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about techniques that you use in your professional context and how, you know, these things can be adapted for a general audience.
0: So the first thing to understand is that the way we communicate with ourselves and others all has to do with poetics and metaphor. And we can examine the way that we think about ourselves and our lives, not in terms of good or bad, necessarily positive affirmations, but just how do we think about things. Um, Writing can be healing if we journal, not just to have a catharsis, but to examine memories in a new way. So writing poetry can be healing because it allows you to shift the way you use language in order to reconceive of past events.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting to call attention to the distinguishing word poetics and poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can just brief, maybe I can briefly just say poetics is and poetry is.
0: Okay, so poetics is um, it's similar to rhetoric, but kind of equal and opposite. So poetics means that, at least to me, it is a kind of language that is meant to have an effect, but it is so basic to our society that we, or all societies, that we often overlook it. Everything is metaphor. Every single culture has a metaphor of up, good, down, bad, light, knowing, dark, not knowing. All of these things, um, do you get the idea uh, are you talking around a subject, head of the class, top of the heap? All of these things involve spatial representations that are technically figurative language, which is the root of poetry. But the broad definition of figurative language, which is, in my opinion, language in general, is poetics.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, Jessica, you teach meditative writing and act as a mentor to screenwriters. What are techniques you employ to uh, kind of empower your students to view the drafting of screenplays? as a methodology for self-discovery. So, you know, you're coming in, you say, I want to technically, and maybe they're they're kind of technical oriented, but you want to get them to that.
2: Yeah.
3: It's funny that, um, uh, closer to the mic. All right. Um, most people, when they find me, they are at a place in their life where they're like, I either need to go to therapy, I need a divorce, or I need to write a screenplay or Mm. all three. And they, and they think that the screenplay is going to be the easiest it's going to be the easiest one. And I'm like, it's not. But um, most of the time, people who in the middle of their life find themselves attracted to storytelling in this form is because there is something inside of them that needs transformation and healing. And they're not the type of person to walk into a therapist's office. They're not Mm. the type of person to go to yoga to, you know. And one, I was one of those people where I really did not, you know, I was like, I'm not woo woo. I'm not healthy. I'm like, you know, I'm just a crazy bitch, and I want to live a crazy life. And through the writing, I found it that it allowed me to transform myself through going back into the stories and the stories that I used to tell myself. Um, Because every time you revisit a memory, and this is true, every time you visit a memory, you change that memory. And so when you're writing, you're, you're taking this emotional truth that you've been through, and you're putting it into characters and and a world that is different than yours that allows you to play out different variations and essentially rewrite and heal the trauma that you've been through. And Mm -hmm. the reason why I love working in screenwriting is because, you know, there's a lot of great people who are doing therapy. My sister, my best friend, they're therapists. Um, But there's a lot of people who would never walk into a therapist's office. And so even though I'm not doing therapy, I know what I'm it can be very therapeutic to write a screenplay or a novel or a play. And so I try to get people in touch with, you know, what is their emotional truth? Because I truly do believe that great storytelling is um, the emotional truth of the artist through the character for the audience. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just, it's a great distancing technique that allows you to rewrite and dive into the trauma of your past so that, the things that you've been through, you know, it's like you've been through shit. You get to turn that shit into fertilizer. And in mm. that fertilizer, you get to grow something beautiful. And it makes mm. it all worth it.
1: Yeah, I think it's such a great and uh, woohoo, you know, like woo. You know, so really great. <laughs> so um, what I'll say to Kaylin is like, can you give like a, an example of something that kind of a, in which you kind of really had the eureka moment or maybe a breakthrough where, you know, in, in a work you kind of were really able to connect with. The, your power truth or the healing or something like that or an illustration of that? Because I think sometimes, you know, we kind of, we, you know, both Claire and Jessica had kind of, a little bit of theory, so I try to think about the practice, yeah.
2: Sure. Um, as, a, as a songwriter who works both by myself and with other songwriters, there, I mean, it's always a healing process. And whether I'm writing in the first person or about somebody else's experience, um, there's still always my experience in it mm. um, as well. What's been really interesting in terms of my most recent project, Death by Piano, uh, working with Grey Wolf, is that often there's already a framework in place, what some of the music is suggesting, the story Mm -hmm. is, even what a title for an otherwise instrumental track is suggesting. And having to work off of that idea, which is a very playful thing that we all do in terms of creative types of exercises, but then Allowing myself to take that further to places that I might not have on my own when I take create something from scratch that's completely mine, mm. and that's allowed me to go to some places that uh, are potentially were easier for me to avoid because I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there's been a lot of a lot of truths within this process sharing this creative volley back and
1: forth that's interesting one thing i just want to kind of I picked up a thread on that is that you know sometimes when you're jotting out and brainstorming we get up titles and ideas and uh frame it in a certain way and then uh connecting with Jessica's thing about distancing so like then the the idea is like we have it unfolds almost in a way kind of independent of what we our preconceptions were because that idea has a logic to it internal mm-hmm. logic And uh, one of the premises or foundations from improv is, you know, if these premises are true, what else is true? Yes and. Yeah, so yes and or kind of exploring that, you know, if this absurd premise or this even somewhat slightly off premise is true, then just following through. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah.
0: And also, um, Kaylin, I loved uh, that you said suggesting, that Mm -hmm. a title suggests a mode or a modality, because we often think in writing that we need to say something or assert something or get something right, when really, in terms of the people who look at our work and how we share our work and how we share our work with ourselves, looking at it the next day or the next week or the next year, writing suggests things to us. It offers options. And I think it's really interesting to hear, as you're talking about working with text, how that text suggests something in another art form it'd be awesome if you can you tell me like how is it to compose something based on what the text suggests
2: Sure. yeah i mean i've been trying to actually lean into this process more in part inspired by the david bowie show at the brooklyn museum i mean he's done something that many other artists have done as well but he worked with a computer programmer in california to plug in lots of pieces of text whether it was poem Mm -hmm. uh current events, uh, textbooks, whatever it might have been, and had it basically spit out new text, Um, not according to any special algorithm aside from, let's jumble the shit out of this. Um, And I think that's kind of amazing in terms of sparking new ideas, getting out of our own ways, and not just rewriting the same thing over and over again. Um, And so there were a couple titles that came with some beginning instrumentals that, I did try to do that with as an experiment and both uh, my writing partner in the project. And I found that it was very powerful. He, he was sort of like, how did you, how did you know what I meant? And I Mm -hmm. said, I didn't, (laughs) I know what, what it meant to me. And the hope is that the story ends up feeling stronger to a listener because oftentimes we're also both writing texts within a single song. Um, sometimes to clearly have two different stories, other times to just have one story being told, but with sort of both of our truths in it. Mm. So I've been more often trying to actually follow through with before I make this my own or run with it in my own direction, what might this mean?
1: Mm. Um, and also, the uh, technique of found text and mixing text is uh, something I've experimented with and used, you know, where you just kind of uh, pull random things and then kind of allow them to settle with other random things or other kind of um, divine text or whatever, mm-hmm. like divination, I mean, not divine, but, you know, using divination techniques. I think your writing is yeah. divine. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Jessica, you got something?
2: Oh,
3: um, no, I was, I'm just fascinated. I'm just love listening to it. I think songwriting is something that I've dabbled with poorly. But like, I mean, more, <laughs> more amateurly, I would say, compared to the other writing forms that I have. But um, I think it's very true that listening to, the, I think the most important thing with this is that like writing is not about logic or reason because human behavior is not logical or reasonable. And it's interesting to me that in poet- in poetry and song, we are much more open to um a release of logic and Mm -hmm. and cause and effect whereas in our more narrative forms like the screenwriters i work with they constantly sit down and they'll approach a scene and say what makes sense to happen next and i want to just like beat that out of them because i'm like we don't make decisions logically like very few of us yes logic and reason is in the prefrontal cortex of our brain we've developed it as human beings but most of us take action based off of our emotional impulses and our unconscious belief systems, which are not logical or reasonable. And so, and especially when you're writing a screenplay where you're, you, for 90% of the script, your character is in this heightened state of, of change. Like they're going more off of their unconscious biases and and emotions than they are the logic. And poets and songwriters just immediately understand this of like, oh, I just felt it. Like you'll often hear Mm. songwriters don't articulate often their process as intellectually as you will hear a screenwriter do it. And yet it's so much more truthful because they're like, I just felt it. Mm. And so oftentimes in my meditative masterclass that I have, I have everything from songwriters to novelists to journalists to stand-up comedians to playwrights. And I love pairing up my songwriters with my most logical, often male, Um, uh, uh, screenwriters or playwrights, because they really have this, you know, it it just helps them understand that it's that the feeling of truth and that feeling of like, oh, I'm universally connected to humanity at this moment. Mm. And that writing from that place Mm -hmm. is going to be more effective than engaging some of the more advanced parts of our brains at time. Um, but yeah, I think this idea that it's, it's, it feels like magic when you sit down and you're like, oh, I just felt it. Um, and someone's like, oh my God, I was feeling that same thing. And that's that magical moment that we get, you know, when we're watching a film or a play or a song where you're like, oh, I, that, and to me, that is the entire, like, that's what being an artist really is, is going back to that place where you're like, my my primal instincts felt that, and mm-hmm. and then putting that through whatever
2: form you have.
3: So and definitely so. the
1: pulse is there. We all have the pulse, and we have to listen to that pulse, listen to our breath, listen to our the systems at play in our body. You know, yeah. And it's not always easy. To yeah, do it's not always it. easy. Yeah, because you got <laughs> those was,
2: eureka moments are just can you know. can I always, can yeah. I
0: jump in yeah. on yeah, the sure, idea sure, of you? Yeah. So, um, I don't don't throw things at me um i sort of have no use for the term inspiration because Mm. i feel like the threat of the blank page is the bane of all writers but beyond that just building on the idea of logic part of what my research is doing um i'm a writing therapist part of what my research into linguistics and therapy is doing is trying to figure out how poetry works so a poet May just feel something awesome, good for you, write it down, but you can't make that happen. Poetry's work, and there are things that we experience that can be codified in terms of grammar and words and figurative language. We have personal symbols that we all create that the best characters in any novel or any poem perpetuate. So we actually function like literary characters and that's why literary characters work so when we tend to use the same word over and over again uh, just in Mm. a nutshell when I was in college I used to buy a hooded sweatshirt every time I was sad took me a long time to figure that out I had a lot of hooded sweatshirts then one day in the rain in Union Square it was I was crying and everything was wrong and I was like oh my god I need a hooded sweatshirt I need a hooded sweatshirt but I only have money for dinner and I was like shit I just buy a hooded sweatshirt whenever I feel this flavor of sad. Mm. And so if I were a character in a novel, I would teach the reader that kind of sad by having my character buy a hooded sweatshirt at the different dramatic moments throughout the narrative of the novel. Mm. We do this unconsciously in our own lives and sometimes consciously when we write. Um, But as writers, and I believe all writers are poets, we can understand how poetics are just the baseline of experience.
1: Yeah, and I think also when you listen to songs or music, a real kind of um, powerful music, you don't think to yourself, oh, it's just the same words over and over again or something like that. I mean, you kind of get the idea of the melody and chorus, and there's something more powerful that when she was saying about the sweatshirt and all this kind of thing, something more powerful that when the when you return to those words, that they're still communicating,
0: and they make sense. Mm. They are not necessarily logical, but they make what I call poetic sense.
1: Yeah, poetic. Yeah.
0: So if you think about your favorite lyrics to songs, I mean, you can throw grammar out the window. We still get it, but it's not just getting it. Like it's okay that it's not and correct grammar it's that when you put two things together they make sense so that's how juxtaposition works when we see two things together in the world and just seeing those things together is so right or so wrong mm. like um you know it's
1: like react and combust yeah.
0: well so there's yeah. this um table in brooklyn mm. uh near the one train and they have um like this in these environmental pamphlets next to "Make America Great Again" um, baseball caps, mm. and they're just like selling these two things right next to each other. And when you look at it, you're like, "Oh my God!" That you know, welcome to our world, yeah, right? But let these- me just
1: let, it's kind of a little bit off that. The next yeah, question was sorry. about your work in um, again to Claire, but I'll, I'll get no, sorry. No, we'll anyway, okay. um, about the college students and how you know from your statements about how seeing education shift. From seeing education as just practice, that you know doing a, doing some kind of exercise is just practice, to seeing that is the educate that is the life that is real life. You know that education is real life. The point the blocks in the road to they, so previously they think um, education is just practice. That it's a stumbling block in the road to a worthier activity. And then how do you get them to a place where they can see that education is real life and this is this is the work.
0: Well, I think that has to do with um, a lot of what Jess was saying about people who would never consider therapy, people who don't consider writing to be the same thing as real life. Mm. So if it's okay, I would like to hear you comment more on how writing is real life. And actually, I had a lot of questions. So let's bring this into teaching. When I teach dialogue, I have to talk to my students and work with them because they can't oftentimes write with good grammar when they're writing their own voices. But then when they write characters speaking to each other, they like want to get the grammar right. And I say, how often do you speak to somebody naturally and get the grammar right? You don't have a logical conversation. You interrupt yourself. You go back. You explain things in a roundabout way that makes perfect sense in the end. So how do you teach dialogue in real life, meaning they're the same?
3: That is an awesome question because dialogue is one of my favorite things. And as screenwriters and playwrights, like, it's, it's the thing that a lot of people stumble on because bad dialogue, holy shit. Like, mm. nothing is worse than some dumpy exposition where it's like, oh, hi, Angela, my friend of 12 years. I'm so glad we're meeting at a regular Sunday brunch. Um, and I think this comes from the fact that, um, and it is, I think, therapeutic, but it's part of the artistic process, is I'm like, listen, these characters don't know they're in a film. Mm-hmm. And so the psychology, if you're writing a scene and you're writing it, if your first draft, you're writing it for an audience, you're already fucked. Sorry. I don't know if I can say <laughs> no. that on my um, I have a foul mouth. I'm a crash shaman for a reason. Um, but I'm like, you, the audience, they don't know they're being watched. I don't know. Well, actually, now I know I have an audience on me right now. But like, <laughs> I'm in my, trying to forget that. In my, yeah. normal, in my normal life, I have no idea I'm being watched. So the thing that's actually motivating me to speak, the only reason that words are ever coming out of my mouth is because I'm sitting across from someone. And I have a very specific intent and want an emotional experience that I want that person to have. And so in a first draft, you want to step into a character and you want to say, who are they? What do they want? What specifically do they want from this person across from them? And I would say this, that if you're if you're a dramatic writer, write this down. If you define dialogue this way for yourself, I promise psychologically dialogue will be easy for you for the rest of your life. The definition of dialogue should be for dramatic artists an action your character takes to get what they want from the person that's sitting across from them.
1: Yeah.
0: And you also, one of the things that I consider with my students is what does your character not know? What information does your character lack? That Mm -hmm. will change the dialogue because oftentimes, at least my students, if they get the idea of motivation, they somehow like meld the idea of an all-knowing narrator with mm. like the character knowing exactly what he or she wants. Mm-hmm. But there's always the unreliable narrator. Like we are in our lives yeah. all unreliable. Which is which is why for me, you know,
3: I think that in the meditative writing method that I created, the reason why I did that was because when you go into that meditative state, you find yourself mm. only capable of seeing and experiencing what that individual character is. And so that's a it's a very visceral way of putting you in the position of the character rather than an intellectual approach because I just know that like when you tell people consider what you don't know and then suddenly you're actually thinking about it more. It's like saying don't trip. Don't mm-hmm. trip. Don't trip. And then the next thing you do is trip. And so I found that I can't teach people intellectually. Like I was like I've got to get them to a place where I'm working with their bodies and mm-hmm. their unconscious minds. And Amen. so I found for most of, and not all my writers, I have t- I have two writers that I would never do my meditative writing with because it's just not good for them. Yeah. But most for most of my writers, you know, um, and this is everything from emerging to you know half my writers are professional TV writers and producers on shows that really do need help getting back in touch with their creativity. That like using something that viscerally limits their understanding to that of the characters really helps them write from that perspective. And I also say I just
1: want to say one quick example. You know, when writers are kind of writing and you write collaborative writing, but then also the performance of the writing, which the most people see as separate, but um, the, uh, what you were talking about, um, just to follow the thread of like, you know, in the show, we kind of somewhat aware there are listeners and all this kind of thing, but the, the um, performers performing and kinetically enacting the, the stuff, the written stuff, therefore it creates a kind of a, a different, slightly different kinesthetic experience, mm-hmm. might you say? then uh, that is a little bit more Mm performant, performance, you know, so go ahead.
0: Just to bring it back to your original question, um, the idea of how do we see writing as something real, something that is part of our experience, um, it is exactly that understanding that our current perspective can screw with the way that we're trying to write. One of the things that I do, um, and this may be similar to something you do in meditation, I don't know, because different take for everybody but i have when my undergraduates write about themselves as though they are characters and they're limited to dial limited to either just dialogue or just physical description and they have to consider what that character would know at the time or when they break down a text and say why is this character making this stupid ass mistake like what is going on with this otherwise logical scene that is bringing the character to this point. It kind of brings an element of vulnerability and the understanding that no, we don't know what the hell's going on.
1: Yeah, I think it's true. And also, with um, can I just go back to healing about the um practices and you know, can you cite? Uh, I wrote it down as uh, a significant teacher, but uh, you know, we just go to a, a kind of a teaching moment that led you kind of to where you are today from a previous um. Place I of can being, certainly
2: uh, answer that, but to connect a bit more with what Claire and Jessica were saying, I, I actually teach writing as well. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Everybody. I, uh. I, I, I tutor young kids in terms of academic and test prep stuff, which the test prep gets pretty dry, but um, I help them write their application essays, which tend to be personal narratives. Mm-hmm. I get that. And,
0: I do that too. Yeah. And it's really fun. It's so I hard. mean,
2: well, yeah, kids who are in junior high are shit writers. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: they really, really are. Yeah. They are in college too. They are. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they have. A Adults
2: such, too. Yeah. They, have such, um, they have so much to say, though. Mm. They just need guidance, and they need, especially when they're in a process that has so much stress for them, but I do a lot of songwriting techniques and more creative techniques to help try to bring them to the moment and the memories in a way that's a lot more visceral and
0: real. To connect with the writing, yeah.
2: Mm. To connect with the writing and connect with their real life and take them outside of the assignment itself, and that is it's huge it's huge the pieces that they end up with are phenomenal Mm -hmm. um so it's it's can i ask a question about that i'm very because
3: like um a few of my writers also do that i don't work with with as far as i know i don't work with anyone under the age of 18 i don't know people can lie um (laughs) but um i work with a few people who've done that type of work and and the thing that i think is very common between like a screenplay and a personal essay is like getting rid of that desire to do something right Mm -hmm. and just connect to what your personal truth is and knowing that like if you just put your authentic truth on the page that that will actually get you further than trying to actually please someone and i think especially kids are taught so much that like you need to please you need to get right and i mean adults are just really big kids Mm -hmm. and i work with like i have a i have a 55 year old doctor who still to this day you know what I mean is just like trying to please his parents and I feel like you know especially in those essays is it well is it true because I feel like this is true about screenwriting that like it's better to authentically tell your raw truth in this like flawed man in, in like the the most visceral way possible even if it Showcases you and your voice in a flawed way. That that will actually get you further because that will help you connect to other people more than if you deliver a precisely well-written, perfect-looking piece of writing. Totally. But I
2: basically have to kind of trick them into doing that by not focusing on the product, by first focusing on the process and having them iterate various parts of their story many different ways. So, like, I'll have people do ten different, teach them different ways that we can start a personal narrative that would be intriguing. Are we starting with a sound? Are we starting with a piece of dialogue, a piece of setting, um, a character description, a definition, a strange fact, whatever it might be, and have them do every single one of those or every single one of those twice. So suddenly they're sort of lost in the exercise and then we start to go through and we're like, well, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And that connects with its other piece. And in the end, they are very surprised that this product is authentic, but we're not, we're not, trying for authenticity is just this big abstract idea mm-hmm.
0: can i ask so following on what you just said and um jessica's question um one of the uh the common application you know quest, just the ge- generic question is one thing that has been a challenge in your life something you have overcome so the prescribed what are you vulnerable about how do you come how do you have students who have grown up thinking I have to be perfect I have to be better than everybody I have to present this correctly I understand the idea of working toward authenticity but when the prompt itself is asking you to show to win this position as a lot of students Mm -hmm. think about it by displaying weakness how do you approach that because I'm still trying to figure it out Fortunately, they usually have
2: multiple prompts and I'll (laughs) only settle on that prompt if it seems like somebody has a story that they're willing to tell. (laughs) I I think just on a quick
3: that because I I think that can clue back into like, you know, any type of writing, which is I really, you know, the thing that makes us connect most to people is vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. it's and that but that vulnerability has to be very different for that person. Like it's easy for me to sit here and talk about Um, twice in my life, I've been seriously suicidal. You know what I mean? I have bipolar, I have ADD, I have dyslexia. Um, You know, I've been raped twice in my life. Like I can talk about that. That's not actually what makes me feel vulnerable. And even though it's a, a vulnerable topic, but when I actually start talking about something vulnerable, and the thing that's popping up for me right now is just you know, the idea of like being in love um, and having a partner that like really gets me And Mm. as a person who's never really considered love and is in a weirdly later part of their life, you know, just realizing, you know, that like, oh, like it's women, not men that I need to be with. And that that is something that makes me feel vulnerable. And just that that energy that you put out when you choose to share something that is vulnerable is what Mm. communicates to people in art and that what is vulnerable for you is going to be very different and it may not be what's easy. And so I think, you know, the way I talk to my writers is I'm like, listen, like, if you wanna communicate, if you wanna connect, if you want a producer willing to put $100 million into your project, vulnerability is strength. And vulnerability is the thing that will actually unconsciously drive people to emotionally be like, I need to work on this project with this person. This is an authentic voice. Mm And so I just tell my writers, like, let's set up a schedule and practice in a safe place. Let's practice vulnerability every single day for a month and practice bravery and practice compassion, because those are the things that will actually process-based get you to be able to sell a screenplay. It's not the craft.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And also, I just want to say about the scientific. uh, The next question is about um, scientific versus mystical. And Jessica does a lot of... (laughs) kind of inter dialogue with uh these modalities of very heavy science with heavy with heavy mystical heavy meditative and how do they combust or how do they interact
3: um i think you know perhaps it's the bipolar part of me Mm. that was like um but i i started working with writers and i started looking at my own practice and i was like this is a very mystical magical thing and that's great and but then i started teaching and i think it was actually my own insecurities where um i knew that it worked for my writers i was seeing these writers do better um <clears throat> excuse me but there's always a part of me that is just like you know but you know but like you need to do it yourself you need to prove it yeah and so i just started researching because I, I knew that like when someone else wrote you know emma sad because her parents are getting a divorce and i wrote you know you know, Emma cries, her father pulls her away from her mother, tears stream down her face. And I was like, I, I was like, why does this sentence get more mm-hmm. emotion out of my reader? And so I just started doing research in in neuroscience. And I was just like, I've always been fascinated by the brain. And I started doing it. and I you know, then I discovered mirror neurons, which is this mm-hmm. fabulous thing, look it up, Google it. Um, and essentially, I realized I found a way of like, you know, I'd been writing like this for years in my screenwriting, because I knew it got the effect that I wanted. But I found that I was like, oh, if you write it this way, it activates the mirror neurons, which activates the you know the nervous system of the reader, so that the re- person reading the screenplay actually physiologically goes through the experience of watching the as if they were watching the film. Mm-hmm. And I just continued that research, and I just took I just took all the instincts I had and all the things that I did as an artist that had proven itself. And I just went into psychology, behavioral economics and neuroscience. And I was like, let me find the scientific explanation of this. And that was, you know, seven years of me. And so now a lot of my teaching is I will start with the mystical if it's a meditative class and then back it up with the science. And if Mm -hmm. it's one of my craft class, I start with the science Mm -hmm. and then I I drag them into the mystical because it's the same thing. Science and art is exactly the same thing. It's asking, like, why are we here and what are we supposed to do?
1: So with Claire, so I know I just want to just bounce off one quick thing in the next question mm-hmm. about the um unfold like one, I did this uh prompt with you mm-hmm. very recently where you have a need to know basis uh unfolding of uh steps where the participant the when, one we did. The one we just did last time. week, yeah. So For that, you to no, know, yeah. If you can tell the actually you I'll let you tell the what the prompt is or oh, the experience okay. you know, from your side, but I'll tell from my side quickly. Yep. That uh you're giving kind of very simple instruction of step one. You follow the instruction and you don't know where it's going or you kind of have a vague idea. And then slowly then you give step two, step three, et cetera. Um uh, at the end of it, it you know, you kind of instruction to like tie it all together, put a bow on it. And that is the, you know, you kind of produce a much better material than had you been given it top heavy. So, so yeah.
0: just to um, the clarity to bring to that. Um, and it also builds off what Jessica's saying. And I, I want to connect it this way. So when I have my students begin writing, I ask them to write, even if they're writing about the past, in the um, third-person present tense so that they're building one action on another. And to only the first draft of short pieces sometimes is just the visual. And I actually tell them, think of looking at a movie and somebody is blindfolded next to you. And you have to say exactly what is going on and then ask yourself why this has an effect. I have an exercise where we print out um, facial expression charts and they can only describe what's happening in the face. Her eyes widen, the corners of her mouth turn up. Her brow furrows as her um, eyebrows lift, like all of these things that are psychologically programmed in us to be body language. But getting (laughs) to your question, so the uh, the exercise that you're talking about is the same thing. It's It's a grammatical sonnet structure. So in this exercise, and if you want, I can share this worksheet as a link because I have it as a teaching exercise. You
1: know, we'll, tell, we'll, we'll direct them to your website yes. and they can find it maybe or something. We can I'll, find, share like, I'll, you I'll share video, it with me yeah. and then I'll link them or something. But yeah.
0: Basically, it asks you to um, connect with your concrete memory and looking at one freeze frame of your past and trying to create that for the reader. And then we... Get it into fourteen observations, and about midway through, we put in a certain kind of sentence, and then half again through that, and then at the end, which creates a narrative structure. But basically, um, what it does is it shows that it's not really arbitrary, and this is not really tied up with a bow. Mm. It's more that. Um,
1: well, I mean, for myself. No, I know. No, I know. It yeah. sounds
0: like that, but it's just grammar ties it up with a bow mm. because the way if we end something decisively so in the middle of this series of observations um Mm. i ask people to insert a sentence that begins with i could or i would Mm. half again through you should and then finishing with i know i could or i would recast something in the realm of possibility you should speaks to either the writer or the world in general and asserts on the part of the first person narrator and I know brings things to the present tense and yes wraps it up with a bow Mm. and you don't want to just finish anything with I know because that can get really annoying (laughs) and pretentious but for the sake of a quick exercise it can be vulnerable because it takes the stuff that you were working through without the preconception of a revelation and you cap it off with what it teaches you in the moment
1: Okay, okay. So uh, I think it's also a, a movement towards looking differently or viewing um, works or individual fiction or movements from just works and in, uh, into artifacts. So looking at them as artifacts, and the artifact uh, hints toward the word "artifact" hints towards the metaphor that Jessica gives in her website about how the individual self, the writer, is in different worlds, and every script is as a part of that unique world that represents the artist's journey. and so I'm uh, fudging a little <laughs> bit here, but. <laughs> You know, how does that metaphor kind of help you uh, to say, OK, like this person's in one world, this person's in one world, a quantum or something? I don't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, how does that help you kind of get there as the guide?
3: Um, I'm, I'm going to hope that this is what you're asking. Yeah. And if not, then you just let me know. Yeah. But, um, you know,
1: you know, I'm, know. I'm, a
3: big, I'm a big fan of Jungian psychology yeah. and, and the idea of, of archetypes, which I think are very much misunderstood by, by most people. Um, but I really do believe that all any character that comes, I believe all your stories are inside of you all, already. Like, I don't think we actually craft them. I think there is, they already exist in our unconscious and it is our conscious. It's the struggle of our conscious brain to pull them out of the unconscious and put them on the page in a way that, mm. um, other people get them. Um, but I also think that our characters are all fractured parts of our own identity Mm. so like you have all these inner just like the different systems of the brain your brain has multiple different systems that can work independently or together and you have multiple different worlds and characters that live inside of you that are all together the whole of them make up you as a person and when you sit down um to write it's like you just connecting into that one part of yourself and i do think that the most effective tool for selling a piece or for communicating on mm. a large market, which is the same thing really, is to search for the part of yourself, that fractured part of your identity that has had the least opportunity to show itself, to reveal itself. And the reason why that's most valuable is because what is repressed in the individual is often repressed in the society. Mm. And what is a repressed in the society is what art is about. It's what we are yearning for. It's what we are dying To watch in a safe environment and entertainment i say with air quotes or comedy is a safe place for us to reveal the parts of our society or our our souls that are the most repressed in hopes of integrating them into our whole self which is why of the all the shows that are the most popular that have been running for the longest time law and order law and order svu is the most popular one. And it is about abuse towards children and sexual abuse. And those are two things that are extraordinarily repressed within our society and our culture. And it's why we enjoy watching it the most because when we see it on a screen, we feel it uh, that tiny twinge inside of us and we go, oh my God, like I'm not fucked up. I'm not horrible, I'm not a sinner. Like there is a part of me. And so like this idea that as artists, our obligation or our right is to hold up a mirror to the most repressed parts of our society and knowing what those most repressed are parts are of our society comes from just looking inside of ourselves because, you know, when a system is broken or maladjusted on a larger scale, it is because the individual systems in the people that are part of that system are as well. And so you cannot necessarily go out today and change the system, but you can write something yourself today that changes your system. And that when you put that on a screen or on the page and our society Mm -hmm. reads it, you know, perhaps we move an inch, or a quarter of an inch, or a millimeter of an inch. I don't actually know if that's turning right. one page.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: um, is
3: closer to you know where you think you know our society should be. You
1: know, I would just say a couple of things to help the audience kind of access that. You know, that one is that uh, sometimes the, the traditional knowledge, or traditional wisdom, or traditional methodology is you know giving what they want. So when you sell, when you're in sales. You're trying to give them what they want, right? A lot of people do this. This is the you know kind of the trajectory of a lot of salesmen. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, real salesman knows that they they'll sell you what they got. You know, like mm-hmm. you're gonna want whatever they got, and they're gonna they're selling it to you. They're gonna create that need, and then ten years down the line, everybody wants an iPhone. And you know, as a
3: salesperson myself, as someone because yeah. I like, listen, I've run multiple writing. Mm. You know uh, schools, and I can tell you right now, it's not about what people want; it's about yeah. what they need.
1: The vacuum where they're, where there's a vacuum, you know, mm-hmm. they'll buy it. I guess and so.
3: and I think well the thing the thing yeah. with say the thing thing with sales and also when you're working with characters though is that mm-hmm. there's what the character wants and there's what the character needs emotionally, mm-hmm. and there's what someone wants and there's what they emotionally need. You know, someone might say, "I need a couch." but what they really need is respect from their husband. And a good salesperson will pick up on that instantly. Exactly, exactly. And they'll feed the emotional need. And and so in sales, you do that directly. But when you're writing, you hold back on it because Mm -hmm. you don't want the emotional needs to be satisfied or not satisfied till the end. But if you look at a screenplay, um, for all of you who know the rhetoric, um, beginning to midway point, you're focusing on the tangible want of the character. Mm. Then at the midway point, you should put what most people would put the ending at the midway point. So you have the the tangible want being met and either had or destroyed at the midway point so that then that leads from the midway point to the climax for the emotional need to rise up psychologically in the story and the character so that... We're really watching at the end of the script of does this character get... We start saying, do they get what they want or do they not get what they want? But we end saying, do they get what they need or not get what they
1: need? Yeah, that's can, good. I, and,
0: can I just say yeah. that's the like the same premise as the I could, I would in the middle. The you mm-hmm. should half again through and the I know at the end. It, it's grammar forcing the narrative arc that we desire in terms of raising the stakes, coming to a climax... And then resolving in some way, shape, or form.
1: And just to clarify, about also about the the which one of the threads is about um, the need and finding that need, meeting that need, and connecting it with the uh, the you know kind of connecting with the product you're producing, and and you know how we're fulfilling that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the key, I think can I yeah. ask a question I've sure, been wanting sure. to ask of, sure, sure. of Kalyn? So yeah, go ahead, yeah. we've
0: been breaking down I I have been breaking down language forever and finding the meaning in it. And um the one one thing that's always intrigued me is the idea of a musical phrase. And I'm also I used to be a dancer, and the idea I I'm mystified by how people can compose music. And I'm wondering what it is. To you to I don't even know if this question makes sense but what is the musical phrase what does that mean because I'm thinking of like you know in terms of a grammatical language phrase and I just want to know how that translates I mean it's it's
2: similar there are there are parallels in terms of this sort of grammar rules Mm -hmm. um
1: but you're also performing it so you know, when mm-hmm. you're doing the process of writing and then you're performing it, is mm-hmm. the art? You know, how do those discrete skills uh, kind of combine and combust? I would you say? And then when you're performing it, you know, it's something you wrote. Do you ever change it? Or yes, you, you do. Okay, yes, yeah. Um, it's got to be alive. you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, it has to. That's why the phrases exist because they're. I mean, mm-hmm. they're alive. They're they're spoken pieces. They're just spoken mm-hmm. through music. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I think there are tons of parallels, just in terms of the musical elements and the and and words separate mm. from combining the lyrical and the musical, yeah. mm. um, which can be really fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, there's a word I love, which maybe it comes up in other literary forms too, but um, prosody, mm-hmm. and it's when the uh, the vision and the intention of the music is exactly in line with the what the lyric is suggesting they're really holding each other up and lifting each other to a new height. Um,
1: And I would say the gap between the manual and the practice is small, but deep. So you could fall into it (laughs) (laughs) easily. I love that.
0: That's called, that's called prosody as well. um, Because that just goes with poetics and the idea that these, these ways of thinking about the story we tell ourselves as life permeate beyond writing into all kinds of art and art is mm-hmm. all kinds of existence and mm-hmm. experience
2: and it's really i think about then the the agreement of the content and the context each one helping each other to the highest level and is yeah. is that a support cuz like i have the, my
3: little experience with with songwriting is finding the pure joy in um, actually, the like the the clash of the lyric and the mm-hmm. sound. So like, mm-hmm. I will often put like a bouncy ukulele, like mm. you know, yeah. and then it's with like, life is terrible, I want to <laughs> die. Um, and I just I'm fascinated by how like people sitting there in the audience and they're bouncing up and down and. and and then slowly, some of them start to listen to the lyric, and they're like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and so is there a word for when the 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 melody and and the lyrics actually like combat for so, so sort of putting the the conflict between the audience and the song versus like the, the between the lyrics
2: and the the melody beyond just the intentional contrast, It can be really uh, hilarious yeah. <laughs> and sometimes just really powerful. sometimes that's actually yeah. the most. Powerful vehicle for yeah. The uh, methinks me the lady doth protest too
1: much. Cool. Yeah. You know? well, I can say, growing up, we always had that urban legend about if you played uh, White uh, Deaf Leopard or what was a music band that you played backwards, they would sing the devil lyric. Uh-huh. Did you do you hear this? now? I've
2: yeah
3: I've heard something of that, about yeah. playing it
1: backwards. You know. Anyway, the point is that's an illustration of how you know revisiting song lyrics that are classic and saying they have a completely different context than you thought they did mm-hmm. is an illustration of pulling the rug under your feet that. You were just uh, yeah. theoretically describing.
0: Well, I, I just um, the idea of the music contrasting with the lyrics. I think that in poetry, that would be the tension, mm. the poetic mm-hmm. tension, and in psychology, it would be cognitive dissonance.
1: Yeah, and in, in comedy, it would be awkward.
0: <laughs> yeah, and also, <laughs> and also in my life,
1: it,
3: it's
0: also called my life.
3: That's that's my personality. Sorry, be awkward. It's, yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> sorry.
1: <laughs> That wasn't awkward. <laughs> no, awkward. No. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, let see. What was the last question? Okay, so creativity and rituals and routines. So how strict are you to keeping with a routine? Uh, anybody. Uh, how restrictive are you in your approaches to producing your work? How will you ex- uh, Experimentation, spontaneity, influence your creative output? So uh, I don't wake up every morning uh, at 7 a.m. and start writing and whatever. I have too many other things. Go ahead, yeah. I-
0: You should should, write first thing in the morning. But wait, wait. What you should do is keep your notebook by your toothbrush. Mm. And every day when you write up, when you wake up, write up, same thing. (laughs) Ah. When you wake up, write, I'm about to brush my teeth. Mm. Commit to writing one sentence a day. Date it, I am going to brush my teeth. If you do that, then you are observing the first principle a writer writes no matter what the hell goes on for the rest of your day, you've written your sentence. And this is something that works, that I use as both a therapist and a writing teacher because there's something about looking back through pages and seeing something on the page date after day after day consistently. And I find that a lot of writers, including myself, I mean, I came up with this because I suck at keeping up a routine. Whether I'm busy or just going through a time of blockage in my creative life so this is a way to give yourself a discipline without setting yourself up for failure yeah and also you need to learn to write badly and then you can sort of chill out and see what happens naturally for you yeah. i will i will confirm that
3: that absolutely like the the only difference the biggest difference between professional writers and non professional writers is that professional writers just understand and accept the fact that they're going to write shit 90% of the time. And that mm. it's just a vending machine. You just have to you, have, you just have to buy 25 Fritos before you get to the Snickers mm. um, <laughs> is the metaphor I like. But I would say to to double down on that, I believe, yes, like writing every day for that. Um, I've got a good article on the neuroscience of goal setting and habit building. So if you guys go to the scienceandartofwriting.com and go to the articles and look up goal setting, there's like a really big article I have on there on that that I think will be helpful um and i would just say the one thing here is that a lot of people they feel like the reason why getting into a habit is hard is because especially for new yorkers our our daily lives change so much and we go in and out of phases and most people they get a good habit going and then they have a shift in their life and everything falls apart and so i would say that you know going with the flow of your life and saying like i'm going to create a system and a habit system and I know that eventually something's going to happen that's going to change and that then I need to reevaluate that system. And I would say that on a weekly to monthly basis, because my life is so hectic, I, I have to change my writing approach and my ha- habits. But I the thing is, I don't beat myself up for it because I understand the neuroscience. Like I understand chemically what is actually happening. And, and so once you actually understand chemically what is going on for you, you will spend so much less energy beating yourself up. And Questioning, Am I meant to be a writer? Because I'm like, mm. oh, my God, if you were a baseball, if you're if you're a pitcher and every time someone hit your fastball, you stopped and questioned whether or not you're meant to be a pitcher, yeah. you would get fired. Like, you know, but writers, for some reason, especially, you know, emerging writers, they just they they you spend all that time you spend questioning yourself just because you fall off the wagon of your habit. If you just say this is energy and I can use it to write versus using it to question my writing And just know that it is perfectly normal that like, you know, again, I work with a lot of high profile people who like literally are producing and writing the shows that you watch every day and they feel the same way. And I have to go through the same habit building techniques with them that I have to with my completely emerging writers.
1: I mean, the theory is, though, that, uh, you know, once you produce the first Coke, the (laughs) millionth Coke, is not as difficult but it's just as traumatic well and
0: that's kind of the the whole habit forming in and in writing i guess it's the only time we say habit forming is good um but pairing that with something like brushing your teeth it makes it mundane and it reduces the anxiety attached to like writing Mm -hmm. with a capital w yeah so in that way it's like
3: the basic you're really doubling down on the the dental hygiene of america oh, right yeah. I
1: think. Well, <laughs> well i think the coca-cola has yeah. been suffering be
0: that people are brushing The through. backlash of to, <laughs> so i'm about to get out of bed well i don't want to underestimate Almost, people yeah. who are already beating themselves up give me a break mm-hmm. i just i just you just made me realize that i don't brush my teeth
3: in the mornings yeah. ever and i'm like oh my god oh well
0: whatever it is you
3: do um yeah. All just right, t- t- wake
1: t- up. All crack right. the bottle of whiskey. Write a sentence. I'm about to take a shit. <laughs> 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 oh god. But Oh uh, god. <laughs> no, but also just that—that's a good point about how. Because I was saying the—I was saying the case example of Coca-Cola and creating the formula and using mass-producing it. But even that—that that company would struggle with the trends. You know, they're not even though the quote-unquote the formula is working. You know, producing many episodes of Seinfeld. You know, are still replaying. All these episodes, the new episodes, you know, whatever show is on now, I was watching Counterpoint. They're able to continue to produce these shows, but whether or not that we're watching online, whether or not we're watching in the television we're no longer watching, but this this still struggle, but
0: can I ask how that translates to once you already compose music to practicing an instrument? Mm-hmm. So is there a difference between practicing and composition? Because in writing the lines get blurred
2: between the well, pra- yeah, yeah. unfortunately.
0: Um uh, I think okay. Yeah, there is. Um <laughs>
2: Definitely. In terms,
0: no, no. We were talking um, about in terms of daily routine. Yeah, that's,
2: right, that's good right. I that. mean, it's it's oh, difficult. It, there are many different pieces um, that I should be doing <laughs> oh, on a re- on a daily basis in order to make my performances of songs that I compose because I I enjoy all of that mm. um, the best, and there and each one is a little bit different, and in terms of um the practice that it entails. It's but a little bit different.
0: Does practice yeah. does the practicing of an instrument ever like does that in and of itself inspire you or is that totally okay, cool. Yes, that's uh, what I was that's wondering.
2: Ha- that's where a lot of new song ideas will come from. I'll just mm-hmm. start to learn about something new, a new technique, mm-hmm. um a piece of theory I hadn't looked at before, uh understanding a song structure of a song that I just heard that I really like. Um I the, all of that actually sparks creativity, yeah. starting in just all right, well, let me let me break down some of the craft, let me work on some of the craft and i I think that's so true because like i i'm a I'm a I'm not really like
3: I've written songs, but i I don't like the practice of the craft of the the guitar is what I use most, and I don't like the practice of the craft, and I've never learned anyone else's songs because I was like my my interest is purely in the creation of the song is in mm-hmm. the composition, right. So I'm not really a musician. I'm not really a uh, 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 play. And I think that I see that with writers too, where writers are like, I just want to write the screenplay, but they're like, I don't want to learn all the craft. I don't want to practice it. And I think, you know, if you are someone who, you know, if you want to write just for the fun of writing and you do it for your personal development, that's great. Like, you know what I mean? You you can do that. You can do what I do with my songs. My songs are purely for me to enjoy and to write songs. But if I were to get serious and I was like, I want someone to pay me to, to for my songs... Mm-hmm. I would really need to understand that almost every day I need to practice the craft of my instrument and then then I can have a few times a week that I work on compositions. And I wish that writers, you know, because because athletes do that, they practice every single day but then once a week they might go and play a game and i wish writers had that same basic understanding of like mm-hmm. that writing mostly is a practice and you need to practice writing and that practicing writing is different than you writing executing a product. product except yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. no
0: one's ever going to pay me for my poetry though and, oh, that, uh, and that's, that's, that's why i right. write screenplays yes. Yes. I, practice, um, I, practice. I would just
1: say this quote from les paul is very relevant a guitar is something you can hold and love and it's never going to bug you. But here's the secret about the guitar. It's defiant. It will never let you conquer it. The more mm-hmm. you get involved with it, the more you realize how little you know. And I would say, um, you said something about there that. That was another point I wanted to make. But just allowing, you know, that the allowing to just that unknowing. Yeah.
2: But I think there there are ways that, you know, I mean, time is limited and I'm mm. sure we all need to practice all of I our am. the <laughs> every side of our craft more. But um there are ways to do it that are more fun than ways yeah. too oh, you know yeah. sometimes we become avoidant because we think that there's a very particular should yeah. attached to it or, or it should be not it shouldn't be fun or it should be suffering
1: intentionality mm-hmm. i guess is important like Absolutely. going with an intention but then allowing like in a scientific uh, experiment allowing some byproduct to happen yeah, so i kind of that, call it byproduct by process
0: a learning to care about not caring mm. so to value the fact that everything you're doing is going on in the moment and you can honor that and it doesn't have to necessarily be the most brilliant thing in the world because you're capturing an experience and something will happen if you let it yeah you know, and I sometimes
1: I, you don't yeah. recognize you know the context of a uh, raw yeah
2: have any of you guys ever read Victor Wooten's music lesson? No. It's I will now.
0: I will Can I have a yeah. reading list? <laughs> <laughs> we should all It'll just exchange. Yeah, them. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what we're going to do when the show ends. We're going to keep talking. Nerds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, We got about two minutes. Yeah, so one minute. One, yeah. one minute. yeah. Should we each do a takeaway? So, yeah, takeaway. Yeah. Let's Can take start, it away. start, Kaylin. Yeah. Take it away. What? Musicians Kaylin. first. Take it yes. away. What am just I saying? Just saying uh, the takeaway. What you think is a nutshell? In the nutshell of what this conversation is. about?
2: I think we really need to work on our dental hygiene. Okay. <laughs>
1: That's the tooth. Go ahead. Uh,
2: that is the
3: tooth. A double thumbs up on that. And I would just say, uh, you know, to to pra- that to pra- understanding what to practice and really put an intention on. Do you need to practice compassion? Do you need to practice your craft? Do you need to practice practice your listening skills? Because all writers should practice listening and say, maybe this week just choose one thing that you would like to practice daily. And also practice rejection. Practice getting rejected. It's
0: fun and it's great. And I think um, we should all dance more. We didn't really talk about uh, movement phrases, but just something to throw in there for how to continue the discussion. You can always continue a discussion with dance. Thank
1: you. Thank you guys, thank you. Thank so uh we kind of Thank you. Out. Thank you, okay. wonderful listeners. Yeah, yeah.